You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. My name is Chris. And I'm Stephanie. In this episode, we are discussing episode three of Orphan Black, the next chapter entitled Dogged in Denial. We will discuss everything that happened in that episode, but there shouldn't be any spoilers for future episodes. And pandemic disclaimer, we are recording this June 2021. The COVID-19 pandemic is still a thing, and we are still a mess. If you are listening to this episode in the future, uh, or, you know, mid-pandemic as we are recording, please forgive us. We really do know how to talk to people sometimes. It's just been a minute. It's been so long. So do you want to talk about the title reference for this episode, Chris? Absolutely. The The episode title, Dogged in Denial, comes from Octavia E. Butler again, Parable of the Sower. The quote in its entirety is, I'm still learning how dogged people can be in denial, even when their freedom or their lives are at stake. Oof. That one's just a oof. As the kids would say, Ugh. this hits differently mm-hmm. uh, during the pandemic, shall we say? Yep. (laughs) So I feel like this episode had a lot more humorous elements to it than the first one did, which kind of makes sense, you know, because we start with Vivi, and then when Kasima gets involved, she's kind of been, had this big shock and like, oh my gosh, things are starting again. So there wasn't as much like room for humor. But this episode felt like it had a little bit more room for levity. And, And I did particularly enjoy Kasima uh, making fun of Sturgis for being terrible at like doing spy stuff. <laughs> He's just so bad, though. I'm like, I get it, Kasima. I don't think I'd be able to stop from roasting this dude either. Because come on, <laughs> he died. He died his hairline as much as his hair. Apparently, like it's a smudgy dye job. Come on, man. And a hat. <laughs> I think my favorite part was when he was like, we need to meet. How are we supposed to set up a meeting on an insecure line? You literally just said both our full names. <laughs> <laughs> well, and like his his little codes aren't really codes. <laughs> Make me have a happy place. <laughs> it's like literally anyone listening would be able to figure out what that means. <laughs> it's like things that sound like codes that aren't actually codes. <laughs> Like is is he trying to throw somebody uh, somebody off? Like it's not. I don't know. Just come on, man. All these cryptic things he says are sort of only cryptic with no context, <laughs> right? Which I guess kind of makes sense. You're thinking, okay, if somebody, some random person is just listening in and has no context for like the surrounding businesses of where your business is. <laughs> But, like, if anybody looks at a map... (laughs) But at the same time, like, if he's worried he's being followed, these people know who he is. They have context for what they're talking about. Exactly. (laughs) So, he's not... He's not fooling anybody. Nope. You're just... You're just making things slightly confusing. (laughs) And I love that also that it comes from Kasima, who's, like, the clone who's the worst at lying. (laughs) (laughs) But I guess she's seen enough people who are good at this that this guy's just kind of just kind of sad. But she did like reasonable things, like you know, she covered up her hair and she put on contacts instead of glasses. Like Kasima does look very different because of her glasses and her hair. So mm-hmm. you know, she did reasonable disguise, quote unquote, type stuff. But he's just he's just not good. But he was alive, which of course we knew he would be. As soon as there was, like, reference to not finding his remains. 
in the rubble. We're like, well, he's alive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. TV rules. If there's no solid evidence, then the character didn't die. And he does, Sergis does in this conversation with Kasima, give us a little more information about the tag project from the first couple episodes. You know, I had those questions about, is that something related to the healing gene mutation? Is it, is the biological weapon maybe like the caster project stuff? But from what he says here, it seems to be a very, very different thing, like completely independent from those two possibilities. Because what he says to Kasima about the tag project is he he asks her, imagine you found a way to customize phages to any bacteria sample. And so in her response is you'd make antibiotics obsolete. So do, do you know what he's talking about here, Chris? I mean, vaguely. Sturgis is talking about phage therapy. Phage is short for bacteriophage, which is actually a type of virus that infects bacteria and only bacteria. And each type of bacteriophage targets a specific type of bacteria. Phage therapy is an alternative to antibiotics that is used primarily in Europe right now. What makes phage therapy appealing is that antibiotics are a broad-spectrum treatment, and antibiotics kill both harmful and beneficial bacteria that are in our bodies. Bacteria help us be alive in a lot of ways, like helping us digest food and make vitamins that we need. But antibiotics attack those friendly bacteria as well as the bacteria that might be making us ill. So in contrast to antibiotics, phage therapy is a lot more specific. Each type of phage targets a specific type of bacteria. So the phages used in phage therapy only infect and kill the bacteria that is making us ill. Harmful bacteria developing antibiotic resistance is also a big concern in the medical community, which is another thing that makes phage therapy an appealing treatment for bacterial infections, since we don't have to use the antibiotics for these particular types of infections. In the context of this episode, Sergis is saying that he was working on a treatment that could create a phage to target any type of bacteria. But he's implying here that the technology could also be used to create a virus that could target a specific genetic marker and therefore infect people with that genetic marker. And that's what provokes Kasima's very concerned response. Which is valid because that's terrifying. Now, is it just me or is it strange to listen to all this talk about viruses and whatnot, viruses and vaccinations and such in in the pandemic era that we are living in now? It is for sure weird. It was a little weird hearing about them, you know, just like meeting in a pub in the middle of the day. Like, okay, sure. <laughs> I do that. Never. <laughs> Not anymore. Yeah. Later later in this episode, there's a scene in an airport. It just, it, I got so anxious listening to that. <laughs> I don't know why, but I just found Charlotte kind of hilarious in this episode. When Cosima was like expressing some reservations about maybe making Delphine mad, Charlotte just says, I'm not married to Delphine. Her wrath doesn't frighten me. <laughs> that was a good line. And it is one of those things, like, it's really nice to get more of Charlotte again. I enjoyed her in the series, but there's a lot more personality to her now. I mean, part of it is, you know. She's older now, but 
I don't know. I just, I, I enjoy that they've made her like a full-fledged main character here. Me too. Absolutely. And I also enjoyed, she had another good line where Allison like curses and Charlotte has this like thought about, oh, when Aunt Allison curses, the apocalypse is coming. <laughs> yep. Like yep. <laughs> and it was kind of delightful to have her paired up with Allison for a little bit there. Well, it was kind of interesting to have Allison introduced I mean, she wasn't in the first episode, well, first two-part episode at all. And uh, I remember having a conversation with you, I think, when this first came out, that as great as Tatiana is, Allison doesn't quite feel right at first. I think it takes a little while, right? Yeah, I I think so. It takes a bit for her to kind of, like, settle Mm -hmm. into Allison again. Like, well, there there must not have been enough room in the recording booth to do her Allison dance. (laughs) I also enjoyed, I guess kind of similar to Sturgis, Allison is not the best at, like, being covert and sneaky. (laughs) Because they're, like, turning around in the airport and like, excuse me, pardon me, I need to leave now. (laughs) And Charlotte, I think, makes a comment about, oh, great, now all of these people are going to remember us because we're making Mm -hmm, such a scene. mm Leaving the airport. Like all these people who might have remembered us definitely remember us now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But I did think, though, that when they they came upon Vivi, who'd been uh, held up by the security person, that that Allison saying, like, my sister stole my ID. Like, that was pretty good thinking. I will give Allison credit Mm -hmm. for that. I was tickled by the fact that Vivi essentially used them to escape. (laughs) And then Allison used Vivi to escape. I'm like, that's kind of amazing. (laughs) Yeah, that was kind of brilliant. I did want to mention, so they got held up at the airport. Charlotte and Allison did. They got held up at the airport because they were doing the, like, mouth swabs to try to match up some swab with the blood sample that they found at the scene of the explosion. And I feel like this is definitely getting into more future technologies speculative fiction type of realm because i don't know like how reasonable that would be to do at this point Mm -hmm. because i was thinking about like at the lab when we do genetic sequencing we get the blood sample and they have to extract the dna and then the dna has to go through like pcr and tagging and all of this stuff and then it goes through the sequencing like just the process when they're trying to replicate the dna to get enough to sequence it takes like 16 hours like it's in the thermo cycle a really long time so i was like is this even remotely possible at this point and there is something called rapid dna testing that they can use in law enforcement which will develop a genetic profile in the matter of like a couple of hours but even if we could right this minute do rapid dna testing and get a dna profile within two hours like they were screening everybody like that's a lot of resources Mm -hmm. that's a lot of time Mm -hmm. it just this for sure enters the realm of like i don't know that that's a reasonable thing that would happen at this point so this feels a bit more like in the future right not not currently practical like currently doable theoretically but but not really in a practical widespread no In case anyone for some reason did not listen to our past episode, we should perhaps reestablish that Stephanie and I work in a lab, so we do actually have some frame of reference for this. So, yes, it's one of those things like DNA testing we do actually kind of know about. Kind of. (laughs) And uh, I mean, 
Stephanie more than me. Stephanie does actually work in the lab part. I just uh, am sort of peripherally attached. But it's one of those things like results, like lab results of any kind, kind of take a while. <laughs> like it's just not if you're testing everyone in an airport, in all the airports, it sounded like like that's just not, you know, even if you have the technology to do it super fast with that many samples, it's just not gonna, you're not gonna get results like you want. When also, since we keep bringing up the pandemic, sorry, people who don't want to hear about the pandemic. But this was I remember a thing earlier on when they were doing a lot of or trying to increase testing. One of the holdups when they were trying to increase testing was that they couldn't get their hands on enough genetic sequencers, basically. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, hey, that's the machine we have at the lab. (laughs) I thought it was a nice follow-up in this episode that we got a little glimpse of Delphine at the, like, security threat meeting that Mm -hmm. she, she went to because, you know, that was such a, seemed to be such a source of kind of jealousy, I guess, for Cosima that Delphine got to do these like fancy, important sounding things while she's stuck being a adjunct who has to grade papers from students coming up with excuses. But, you know, it was a very different experience, I think, than Cosima really would have expected for Delphine in this meeting. It was actually kind of interesting too, the fact that here Delphine is like the uh the ethical consultant. Hmm. I mean, given that, you know, given the way things played out in the series, and I know a lot of fans found Delphine super shady for at least a, a season or two, mm-hmm. <laughs> at the very least. So it's just sort of like, I don't know. It's not quite irony, but it's it's kind of ironic. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think also having her be an ethics consultant now is a reflection of kind of the journey that she went on through that series where, you know, her her perspective was really changed through these personal connections that she developed with Cosima in particular, but the clones as, as a whole. Oh, no, I'm not criticizing it. It's just one of those things that it struck me as uh, kind of funny. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I thought the exact same thing, like Delphine Cormier, the ethics expert. Really now? <laughs> What's the uh, the phrase from the office? How the turntables. <laughs> that is apt. <laughs> so we didn't get to hear very much in that meeting. They kind of introduced a, an alternate suspect for the grit bombing in the context of that meeting. But we definitely were introduced to a character who is another person on that spectrum of how much should we trust her? This Eloise Tybalt lady. Yes, or as Tatiana says, Thibault. You're correct. I, I said it wrong. I didn't say it the French way. An interesting character, but yes, very much. Should we trust her? Should Delphine trust her? Like, what's what's her deal? And I did find it interesting that Delphine recognized her reverting to old ways of thinking when she started to kind of think about like, oh, maybe this is something that I can use and to my advantage and to Cosima's advantage and then stopping herself and being like, oh, I'm going down a path that from the past that I don't want to, I don't know, that I want to go down again. Oh, wait, I'm the ethics consultant. Look <laughs> <laughs> at that name tag again. Oops. <laughs> it's one of those things, too. Like, we've singled out this one character, but it's like, the rest of those dudes are super shady, though, right? Like, we just don't oh, trust super them. super <laughs> shady. No, no, no. We trust none of them. 
They were like, Delphine needs to leave. So we're like, well, they're on the crap list. <laughs> well, I, I mean, a room full of like older, probably white dudes. Like, no, 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 no. We do not trust them. <laughs> <laughs> We've seen this show. We know how this goes. <laughs> But speaking of the explosion at Grit, we see a little bit of Vivi in this episode, not quite as much as we got from from the first one. The first couple of episodes end on that cliffhanger of like, Grit was just blown up and we knew Vivi was there and chasing Sturgis. And was she involved? But she doesn't seem to have been the cause of the explosion at Grit. And she checks in with Arun at the CIA about it as well. And again, not sure if we can trust him, but he also says that, to his knowledge, the CIA was not responsible. What do you think, Chris? Can we trust Arun on this? Do you think there's like another party out there or or do you feel like it was related to CIA type stuff? I mean, it's Orphan Black, so probably there's a there's a third party, right? Third party. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably true as well. Though I still don't trust Arun. I'm still not sure. I mean, again, it's Orphan Black. We trust no one. <laughs> But Vivi, I thought, showed a remarkable amount of trust in this episode toward Arun because she tells him that she's seen three people who look just like her. Like, that honestly surprised me that she decided to do that. I guess I wasn't surprised by her choice to do that. Because of the people, well, I guess we don't really know who all Vivi knows, but from what we've seen... This is the person who she takes her weird info to. <laughs> and, like, that's this is pretty weird. Yeah, she definitely doesn't seem to have a lot of other human connections besides Arun. Right. And, I mean, I think the fact that Kasima is involved in the grit stuff somehow, she doesn't have any clue how, but, like, here's a person who showed up at this place that she's supposed to be staking out. It's weird, and it's personal. <laughs> I don't know why you wouldn't be like, hey, third party, this is weird, right? Am I... Am I?" <laughs> An outside perspective, I feel like, would be a, a thing I would seek out also. <laughs> How did you feel about his response to her saying that? Did you feel like he was unusually calm about it? Uh, I don't actually remember how he, how he responded, so I'm going to say yes. <laughs> I, I don't know, because we can't see him, right? Or even have Vivi judge his reactions from his face or something, because he's, you know, on the phone with her. But I don't know. It's hard to judge how he reacts to the news. And I don't know how I would imagine somebody reacting to that news. I've never had to say that to anybody. <laughs> By the way, <laughs> I randomly saw three people who looked exactly like me. Stephanie, if she's a clone, she doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I guess it is one of those things, like, probably he knows more than he's saying. Right. That doesn't mm -hmm. inherently make me suspicious, I guess, because he is established as, like, essentially her CIA boss. I would expect that he knows more than he's saying to her. It's one of those things, like, could be suspicious, but might just be, like, the way things work. So I'm not not suspicious, but I'm not suspicious either. <laughs> I don't know why, but that felt very Chris of you to say. <laughs> Carefully neutral. <laughs> I'm leaving my options open. <laughs> You're probably smart to do so. So we have uh, the introduction of a new character here with 
I'm probably going to not pronounce her name correctly. I'm going to do my best. Jaisara Pranta. Which is why she asks that everybody call her Jay. Which I now will do. I got to say, I like Jay. She seems like my type of person. She follows the rules and makes other people follow the rules. She's a bit more brave than I am when it comes to making other people follow the rules about wearing their gloves at a crime scene. But I think the thing that really sealed it for me, made me just really like her, is before she answers her phone, she takes off her glove before she answers her phone. You have no idea the number of people I have to remind every day not to touch their cell phones while wearing gloves because there's there's gross stuff on there defeats the purpose defeats the purpose take off your glove before you touch the phone man i'm now i'm now contemplating the number of times i see these people in the break room on their phones (laughs) touching things in the break room i'm just not i don't really go in that break room that often and now i will mentally remind myself don't do it chris (laughs) don't do it I'm just saying, I like Jay. She's a rule follower. She takes her glove off before she touches her phone. She's my type of gal. Good job, Jay. (laughs) Stephanie's seal of approval. (laughs) (laughs) But I I was like, kind of like, (gasps) excited slash worried when she finds the match to to Katja Obringer when she runs, I guess it was Vivi's blood that she found at the scene. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, oh, no the past is coming back to haunt us but it did lead us to art which i was very excited to to see art yes and also this brings up an interesting point of why would they not have somehow like taken katya obinger's dna out of the system by now you think if they had enough of pull in that regard they maybe could have pulled that dna match from the database but right it's an international conspiracy why did no one think to do that (laughs) (laughs) on the same thought pattern there like why is katya the only one who shows up (laughs) if they failed to erase katya's did they only fail to erase katya's did they clear up everybody else's record and just leave that one like what what happened (laughs) okay well they had katya's dna on file because she was clearly a murder victim. So they would have put her DNA sample like into the system to try to find a match. Sarah, I think, just got arrested. So they don't necessarily take a DNA sample from you if you're just arrested. And then Beth, because she died due to an accident and she was identified, I don't know that they would have necessarily put her DNA in whatever system they use for for DNA analysis in Canada. But there are so many clones. And you make a good point, because Jay is RCMP. I think because this was an explosion and maybe they think it's a terrorist attack, it's more like a federal jurisdiction task rather than like the provincial police jurisdiction, which probably was where Art worked. So she would have maybe more access to all the systems in Canada. So if there were other Lita clones in Canada, maybe it would have dinged their dna as well if it was on file i see your points i see your point but i was just trying to think if like in the context of orphan black if we had other reason to believe like another clone might have had their dna on file and i can't think of it but i could just be forgetting yeah and i suppose it would be different too if if whatever i guess the scope of the search for dna might matter too because we know there have been other clones that have been victims of horrible things in you know europe and whatever and i mean 
Vivi Valdez is a, a, a federal agent. I would think she would have information on file in, in one way or another, but... Probably you'd have to look in a different database, though. Right. That, that what, is also that, why I'm saying it's like, well, maybe maybe it does matter how broad the search is. Right. Yeah. But I was trying to figure out, because it seems like Art is no longer, he's no longer a detective. Was he still part of the police force? I couldn't quite tell. I th- think so. But now that you mention it, I don't remember. Because he, he talked about having just like an administrative job. And I guess I kind of assumed maybe he still worked for uh, the police just on an admin type of role rather than a detective. But now I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. I mean, it seems like he must be still part of the police force, right? Because I don't know. I think I assume that because she was able to find him. But I guess she could have she could have just looked him up generally. I don't know. But it's a good thing that she did come to find him because that gives him information to pass along to Charlotte to try and keep Charlotte safe, which I thought was sweet. Yeah, I feel like Art is... It, it seems like he's tried to step back so that he doesn't get pulled into that quite as much as he had in the past. But here, here this comes again and he's probably gonna... Or he has already stepped up and warned Charlotte about what's going on. And finally, in this episode, we we got to see Kira firsthand. Last episode, she was just kind of on the phone, but now we got got a couple of scenes with her. And I feel like in the first episode, she sounded like more of a troublemaker than I kind of think she is now. Right. It kind of sounded like Sarah also led to her getting into the trouble that she got into. (laughs) So that... That checks out. Seems real. Sure, sure. Because, yeah, I mean, the first episode very much makes it sound like Kira's trying to, like, run away from home. <laughs> but she's running away for a secret internship. <laughs> Ooh, I'm going to go learn some science. Don't tell mom. Like, <laughs> like, no, this checks out. Though I do understand why Sarah would not want her working at this particular place. Like, oh, she would absolutely. just be nervous. But still... It made Kira seem like a way more of a delinquent than she appears to be in this episode. <laughs> this makes her seem much more in line with, like, Cosima, doesn't it? This so so feels like something Cosima would do. You make a good point. I agree. This is sort of like Cosima seeking out a job at Dyad. <laughs> it's like, this feels like a bad idea. I understand why you're doing it, but are you sure you want to? <laughs> That's actually a really good comparison. I think that that is absolutely the same idea because, you know, Kasima really, she went to Dyad because she wanted to get more information about herself. And that's what Kira's doing here. Mm-hmm. You know, she's hoping to use the resources of Gene Keep to understand herself better and her super healing gene mutation better. So I, I think that's a great comparison. Right. And to see if she can use it to help. But I was interested by the idea of Gene Keep, where you have this organization that's trying to document genomes particularly ones from like smaller communities more isolated communities and i feel like this is this is definitely an organization that could have very like benevolent intentions but could also be used for evil <laughs> absolutely mm-hmm. and even just like not necessarily recognize fully the power dynamic there mm-hmm where you have a privileged 
part of society controlling the genetic information of uh, segments of society that probably don't have a lot of political privilege and power. There's definitely room for exploitation here. And that makes me nervous. <laughs> As is probably the point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've enjoyed Tatiana Maslany's performance just generally, but I was particularly just delighted by her performance as M. Like, M just seems so charming and, and lovely. Like, I really mm-hmm. liked her. I really liked her a lot. Me too. It is, it's one of those things, like, I remember specifically listening to this the first time through and kind of doing a little bit of a double take. <laughs> like, is this... Is this flirting that's happening? (laughs) Right? It's kind of flirty. As you would say, Stephanie, it pinged my dar. (laughs) It did ping my dar. Pinged my dar a little bit. And I mean, go Kira, you know. So it was great this episode to get reintroduced to some of our longstanding main characters like Art and Allison and Kira. And we got a reference to Helena in this episode, though no Helena herself. But how much did you enjoy the allusion to what she's currently doing she is in the yukon territory teaching survival skills to her twins because of course she is of course she is i wonder if she's wearing a delightfully large fur hat like that's what i'm hoping i mean if experience has taught us anything it's that she definitely is (laughs) she definitely is she probably has some like dirt and leaves and possibly animal blood (laughs) smeared on her person. (laughs) I love her so much, Stephanie. (laughs) So much, it just still surprises me. (laughs) It's from that description, you wouldn't think, but no, I love her. (laughs) I did appreciate that when Sturgis mentioned that the the unknown clone like attacked him and almost broke his arm. That Casima's first thought was like, Helena, maybe. <laughs> I mean, she's the heavy hitter of the team, so for sure, she's the muscle. <sighs> she's the precious murder angel. If you have any thoughts about this episode or any other episode, you can email us at feedback at tatianaiseveryone.com. You can also find us on Twitter at TIE Podcast. Tatiana is Everyone is part of the Ask a Genre TV family of podcasts. To find our other podcasts about Lost Girl and Killjoys, visit our website, askgenretv.com. And in this episode, Helena's alleged furry hat was played by Tatiana Maslany. Thanks for listening. <laughs>